You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Well, as we're going on in our discipleship study tonight, we are going to be talking about strategic formation, okay? Which sounds really uh, super fun, but uh, what this means is, let me do this real quick. I think I'm the wrong thing. Um, we're going to be looking uh, at what does it mean for us to continue to grow in Christ. So uh, I want you to think through really quick, uh, just even around your table, if you will. Can you take a moment and think about this and around your table answer this question? How long have you been following Jesus? How many years? Okay. Some of y'all might need to get the calculator out. Okay. But really quick, think about how many years have you been following Jesus? Tell that the person at your table that has the brightest color shirt has to start the conversation. On your mark, get set, go. All right, let me uh, ask real quick. How many of you have been following Jesus for more than 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Uh, Anybody more than 30 years? Raise your hand. 50 years? My goodness gracious. All right, how how many years have you been following Jesus, Bill? 74. 74. From age nine. From age nine to do your math. Okay, so um, 74 years. Anybody beat 74 years? It's not a competition, but he just kind of blew everybody out. Okay, 74 years, right? Now, if we were to think through that now, let me ask a question on the other side. How many of you are not close to 74 years yet? Let's go down the the other range of this. How many of you have been following Jesus for less than five years? Raise your hand. How many of you less than one year? Raise your hand. Okay. How long have we been talking? Five months. Five months. All right, so this is great. So next to each other at the table, we got somebody who's been following Jesus for 74 years and somebody who's been following for five months. Hopefully, theoretically, y'all might be in a different spiritual place, right? Okay? Doesn't mean one's loved by Jesus more than another, right? Doesn't mean that one has more potential than another. But you think that they might be on a different place in their spiritual journey than each other, right? I, I think so. So, so with this, what I, what I want you to get to, to see tonight is that no matter when you start, no matter where you are, this is what we call a process, Right? We're not talking about a one-and-done prayer that you pray one time with a pastor and then you get baptized and all of a sudden you just sit back on your laurels until he comes back or you die. This is called discipleship, There's, and it should be a strategic formation. So what I mean by that is we should have no more happenstance growth. I don't know. We'll see if it happens, right? It should be no intentional. We must be intentional to experience strategic formation in our discipleship. So if you are in this place, this is a good place to be. Let your spiritually frustrated fatigue launch you out of complacency and into maturity. If you are sick and tired that you ought to be growing more than you have or you should know more than you have, well, get after it, right, okay? Do something and and do what you can with God's power so that you can grow in Christ. So no matter if you have been following Jesus for five months, 74 years, or somewhere in between, you also realize this, that what's unique about this... um, 
So give for example, um, when uh, Amanda and I first got married, she taught elementary music, okay, in public school system. So she'd have kindergarten through fifth grade. She, I think at her school, she probably had about seven to 800 kids. She got where she knew a lot of people. But let me tell you something you can tell really quick. When kindergartners come into your classroom, they do not all come in the same way. Y'all realize that, right? They're all five years old and they all coming in different. Okay, They are coming in different, right? Some are sitting there writing their name and reading a couple of words and with manners. And some of them have never seen a book, right? And, and these teachers have to get everybody at the same place at the end of the year, you know, the, even though they started different, right? Now, if you've been a teacher, some of you know how challenging this type of dynamic is, but it's real, right? So with that, I am saying your age and how long you've been following Jesus has something to do with it. But also the level of the preparation that you put into it has a big part of what you do, right? So how, if you could think about it this way, some of you have been following Jesus for five months and been getting after it, right? I mean, you've really been trying to really been growing. And you can be more mature than somebody who's been following him for 20 years and not done anything with it, right? So it's, it's not just about when you started. It's about what you do. Uh, it, it's like my friend who can tell you all the different rules of Weight Watchers. He could be a salesman for it. He could teach the courses. He just never applied the truths in his life, okay? He really knows it. He knows the system very well and literally could teach it for you. He just never applied it. So you can know the things, but if you've never gotten down into the work, it's not making a difference. So with this, you have to say, okay, I'm tired of being stuck. I actually do want to grow. The need for growth in our life, we all, all know that I, I would hope that probably everybody here tonight would say, yeah, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I want to be or need to be. I've been following Jesus for 33 years. I'm 40 years old, right? I, I've been doing this for a while. I'm a pastor. I've got theology degrees. I've led a church. I've done a mission trips. But I still know there's a gap between where Jesus wants me and where I am right now. Okay? So that means I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to follow him close. And so... I believe it's okay to feel stagnant, to feel stuck, to feel like you, you've kind of gotten, I don't know, along the way you kind of slowed down, but it's unacceptable to stay that way. If you feel that you're stagnant, if you feel that you're spiritually stuck, I get it. That's normal. It's kind of somewhat, I would say, expected, but you don't, you don't need to stay in that position. You don't need to just say that's kind of just normative of it. You need to say, I'm going to do whatever I can to continue to grow in Christ because you see what could be. So if you feel disappointed with your current level of devotion, you can probably guarantee that God would agree with you, right? If tonight you go, man, I just, I'm disappointed. I just, I feel like I should be further along. I doubt that God's gonna be like, oh no, you're fine, <laughs> you know, okay? If you feel like, man, I should be growing, I would think that God would probably say, all right, I'll agree with that. You, you, you probably could grow some more than where you're at right now. You probably need to grow a little bit more than where you are right now. But what I don't think he's going to do is to beat you over the head because of the progress you ought to have made by now. I think Jesus is a lot more concerned with your future than he is your past. I do. I think he's a lot more concerned with what you do from this point on than what he is in fact. I, I don't think he's going to look and say, I can't believe, you know, 20 years ago you made this promise. You ought to have been further along. I think he's going to say right here, right now, where are you and where do you want to get to? And he'll help you, right? He's going to help us grow in the way that we're going. And we have to know this. I know we live in a world that says, if you want to lose weight, we'll take this diet pill and you're going to be good to go, right? Take this shot and you're not going to hurt anymore. Do this, do that. You want a meal, just microwave it and it's all done. And folks, that doesn't happen in our spiritual lives. It doesn't. 
And so, in a world of instant gratification, in a world of take two of these and call me in the morning, you won't have any issues. Spiritual growth is hard. You know why? Because it's slow. It's hard. And sometimes you think you made progress in certain areas, and guess what? You really didn't, right? You, you find yourself realizing, though, that there should be some type of progress. The Christian life should be marked by gradual yet continual progress. There should be a sense of even if you mess up in certain areas, you are tracking and trending in the right direction. Even if it's slow, there should be some type of way that you see the trend and it is going the right way. Um, folks in the church have been around for a while know that a few years, well, when we moved here, I just got into running all of a sudden, not because I really wanted to, but I needed to do something. And uh, the hills in our neighborhood, I had bad shoes. I was running in because I'm a cheapskate. I'm running all these hills. I wasn't warming up beforehand. I wasn't stretching afterwards. And there would be some days that Amanda would look at me. And she's like, it looks like your, your, your legs aren't even working. Like, they're crippled. Like, you are, like this, is, this isn't normal. I'm like, it's fine. And, I, like, I would get up, and I could not move. Like, I could not get my, my, just my leg to kind of bounce off and my heel to move. It was just stuck. And I just go out there and run every day. And, like, just my left foot just pounded the pavement. And I'm like, I just got to work through the pain, right? Well, I was stretching my Achilles so bad and, uh, and causing so much damage to it. It was, like, this close just to snapping. And so I just was hoping one day I was going to be, like, on the, you know, running. And I was like, boom, and, like, done. Like, somebody come pick me up. Like, I thought that's what was going to happen, right? And, and so with it, then I go to a doctor, and they're like, well, what kind of warm-ups do you do? I'm like, what's a warm-up? What kind of stretches do you do? What do you mean? <laughs> what kind of shoes are you running in? Those. Okay, we're going to have to do this differently, okay, right? And so then all of a sudden they start telling me certain things that you can do to, to make a little bit of progress. And, and you know what? I find myself making progress. And sometimes I can run a long time and do stretches and be fine for weeks. And sometimes, y'all know, just a little tiny little thing you do. And that pain's back. And I just feel like I take all these steps back. And it's so frustrating. And in those moments, I just want to say, forget it. I can't run. I can't do all these kind of things I want to do. I'm just going to give up. Or... I could say, you know, what have I learned and do I need to make some adjustments along the way? Even though there's pain, even though there's a setback, that does not mean the progress has been made has been lost. The reason I share that with you, some of you have been making some progress in your life and the moment that you go, oh, I messed up again, you just want to throw it all away. And I want to say, stop it. You know what you've learned. Come back, do the stretches and get back on the road again, Right. Do what the people who've taught you and, and just keep going. Yeah, but I messed up. I know. But it's not honoring to God when you acknowledge that you messed up just to continue to mess up or sit there nursing your wounds. You know what you need to do? You start working through the pain and you keep grinding it out. And eventually, gradually, continually, you will make progress. You can see it. And, and I find myself that in running, if I do certain things before and after, I can go longer in the middle of it and endure a whole lot better than if I don't do those simple things that I've taught. And I'm going to tell you this spiritually is the same way. Some of you could go at harder rates than what you are if you would just make sure you're incorporating the things that you are learning. Don't give up even if the progress is slow. Your lack of growth might not be a devotion issue, but it probably is a discipleship issue. I've seen a lot of people eager, devoted, passionate about following Jesus. They just never get around to it. But I want to do it. I, I know you want to do it. There's a lot of passion. There's just no discipline behind it. There's no strategy. There's no way that they're, they're thinking through, and it just kind of is a ha haphazard of how it lays out. So for you tonight, 
if you want to grow, it may not be that you don't have enough heart desire or that you're lacking it. It may just be you've never really put a plan together, right? And, and so with this, I want to walk through and help you have a strategic formation to what this will look like. In the process of growth, I want to, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1 or um, we've got, uh, i got these verses up there uh, on your handout or on the screen for us just to look at. But I want us to look at this passage of scripture and, uh, and, and help us see, uh, if you've been around Rocky Creek, you know that we used this a few years ago. And from time to time, I remind our church family of this is a discipleship process that we use based on these three verses. Um, when, when I first came to Rocky Creek, one of the things that was told me is, hey, we, we talk a lot about discipleship. We really need an easy, tangible way to kind of do this. And so I planned that what I was going to do was come up with a 27-point checklist of how you can become a disciple. And then we were going to print off a cardstock copy that says you are now officially a disciple. You graduate, you'd be forever a disciple. Doesn't that sound awful? Only problem is it doesn't work that way. You know why? <laughs> because what I'm dealing with as a disciple of Jesus at 40 is not where I was when I was 30. New set of challenges. New set of issues. New set of temptations. New set of obstacles to get over new set of opportunities. And so the success you made in the past, there's, there's new challenges. Have you ever known somebody who was following Jesus really well for a long time and all of a sudden they're not anymore? Where's that certificate of completion now? <laughs> you need something more than that. We need to continue to follow. So um, I had planned on preaching through the book of Colossians, um, going through, and, and the whole reason that I wanted to preach was this line uh, down in verse uh, 28 that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That line for me is really what the heart of discipleship is at. That I want to one day go before the Lord, and it's almost this picture of like, God, you've given me these three wonderful kids, Obadiah, Eli, and Gloria. And you put the responsibility on me to evangelize and disciple these kids. And I remember uh, the night that Obadiah... Uh, became a Christian at Family Devo when he was seven years old. And I remember the time when Eli uh, received the gospel on Easter Sunday when he was nine years old. And God, I remember when Gloria uh, prayed to receive you in her bedroom alone and told me that next morning. Like, I, I can remember those moments, right? But then I didn't stop there either. Because, you know why? When they received Christ at seven, nine, and seven, they were not mature in Christ yet, were they? They were eager, sweet, sincere, authentic, but babes in Christ, right? So what's my job as their dad? To grow them up, right? To disciple them, to mature them. So one day I'm going to go before the Lord, and I don't want to say, hey, God, you gave me these three spiritual babes, and guess what? There's still three spiritual babes. Look at them, how cute they are, right? I think we just want to say, have you grown them up? The disciples that God's put in my life, am I seeing how they can be mature? So I wanted to preach... Uh, this book uh, so that we could go through it together, but so I could get to this verse. When it came time to that week, this passage really just did an unbelievable work in my own life. I know you've probably heard a lot of preacher stories that say, you know, at three in the morning, God woke me up. This one really did happen that way, okay? I could not sleep. I just said, I'm going to go ahead and start working on Sunday sermon. And in the middle of all this, I felt like that God really spoke to me through his word about what discipleship could look like. Um, and, and what was so key about this time, it was funny because we went through the whole book of Colossians, but this verse was so, or this passage was so important to me, but it also was such a reminder of the work that we do as, as people who are making disciples. 
I remember after this, I had asked somebody or a group of people, I said, what other books of the Bible y'all think y'all like to preach through? Like, what would be a good book of the Bible? I had finished Colossians a couple months before that. Somebody said, how about Colossians? And I'm like, I fail as a preacher. Like this person literally, I don't know what I've been doing the last four months of my life. They have not heard it. Okay, all right. And so it reminded them, like, sometimes you just got to go back to it, right? You got to come back to it. So let me read these verses to you. It says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ, what? In you. The hope of glory. Now, let me tell you what has happened in chapter 1 of Colossians so far. Paul has said that the fullness of God dwelt in Christ. And now he pivots and says, and the fullness of Christ dwells in you. So you tell me what you're lacking to grow in Christ again. Because if the fullness of God dwells in Christ and the fullness of Christ dwells in you, you and I are not lacking anything. Don't tell God I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. If you just give me, no, no, no. He's given you enough. He's given you, he's given you himself to dwell within you, to give you all the power for this, right? Christ in you, hope of glory, and him as we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with, whose energy? All of his. Wait, am I working or is he working? Yes, okay. I'm toiling, but whose energy is it? It's his, right? So, so folks, make sure you understand this. You are doing the work, but the only way it's going to be effective is if he's doing it through you, right? He's, he's doing the power, but you still, you still going to the gym, right? All his energy that he powerfully works within me. So within this, what I want to show you is a way for you to identify Six areas in your life that you could focus in on from these three verses of Scripture to help you start growing in Christ. So let me walk through these with you and show this how this fleshes out. But then what can turn is, I want you to start thinking, if I were to sit down with you uh, right now at, at the table and say, okay, where do you need to grow in Christ next? I'd walk you through these three verses, these six categories, and we'd look at it together. The first category is delight. It says Christ in what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, folks, once again, Christ is in you. Um, there should be something in your life that should cause delight, right? This is not drudgery. This is not misery. This is, oh, my goodness, Jesus Christ wants to live in me. What can I do for him? Like, I want to do whatever I possibly can for him. And so with this, a disciple must possess an endearing delight at the opportunity to follow Jesus, it's not in any way that you have to follow him. You get to follow him. The hope of all creation has called you on an experiment and an adventure to say, come follow me. And that should get you up out of bed in the morning and saying, where are we going now, King Jesus? It should excite you. It should be a joy. It should be a delight. It should, I mean, I can't believe I've got to grow. You get to follow Jesus, right? This is the opportunity of, of your lifetime to say that he's calling us to do it. So it should be something about a delight. So, so with this, um, I think you have to start here because if you feel like you have to grow rather than the opportunity that Jesus is giving you that you get to grow, you're going to fizzle out at some point. You mean I got to stop doing this? You mean you want me to start doing that and it feels misery to you? Go ahead and clock out because I know what's going to happen, right? It should be this, oh my goodness. I get to do these things. Now, why don't we do this? Because sometimes we would have what I would call a rival delight. There's something that we delight in more than Jesus. So the question is for you, 
what do you need to focus on less so that you can delight in Jesus more? Is there some area in your life that you need to say, okay, I need, my, my greatest delight in life is this. So, so if you think about it, there's a lot of people who would say, my greatest delight in life is people's approval, right? I want everybody's gold star to pop it on me and say I did this right and do that right. And you work for that approval. How many of you know you've gotten in trouble before because you've been trying to get somebody to say you're doing a good job, right? Easy to do. Some of us, the delight can be in how fit we are, how good looking we are, how much money we've accumulated, whatever. It can be a good thing in a wrong place and it turns into a bad thing, right? So... The delight aspect is, do you have this desire to, that you get the opportunity to follow Jesus? And I'd also say this, um, the first time I ever did this for me personally, the thing that I knew that in my life that I needed to work on more than anything was that I needed to delight in Jesus more than ministry. It may sound weird to you, but I found so much of my happiness in working for Jesus rather than just Jesus alone, Right? And the church is doing great. You a good preacher. I'll tell you what, you're doing a good job. Like, you're right, I am. Look at all this stuff, right? And you live for what? You live for the golden stickers, right? You're doing a great job. Here's a golden star. Here's a medal. Here's a way to go. Look at all this wonderful stuff you're doing. And you find your happiness. And I go, or could I just be, is it enough that, that Jesus loves me? Right? Is that, is that enough for me? I, during that time of me studying and praying and thinking through that for myself, I realized this, that at Jesus' baptism, when he goes down in the water, the father says publicly, this is my son who I love very much. Y'all need to listen to him. And you know what helped me out so much about that passage? God said that about Jesus before Jesus ever preached a sermon. He said that about Jesus before he ever healed anybody. Before he really ever even started his ministry, God says, I love you in your mind. And you know why that helped me? Because as a pastor, I need to realize this. God is not waiting for me to do something well in his work before he loves me. Amen. He loves me as his kid. Yeah. If I don't ever do anything for him, he loves me. And that frees me up then, right? Yeah. So then my delight comes in this. Like, I get, to, I get to do these things. So the other way that I'll also play this out, I think it is important to go, that it should be a joy. Anything in this category, the next five categories we look at, it should be a joy in your life. A delight, something that you see as exciting. Um, I, I kind of use this example a lot, but, but when, when you think through that, let's just say that my dear wife, Amanda, looks at me and says, Hey, Trav, you remember that time we were dating and you used to buy me flowers? <laughs> I do remember when I, past tense, used to buy you flowers. Wasn't that nice? Yeah, that was really nice. I really would love some flowers again. I took a picture of it if you want to go back and look. You know, it was February 14th last year, right? Facebook memories will pop it up every so often, you know, if you need it or not, like, whatever. Well, it just meant a lot to me. I'm trapped now because if I give her flowers, I'm only giving it because she asked. But if I don't give her flowers, then I'm not listening to her needs. What am I going to do? So I go to the place where they sell all expensive, wonderful flower arrangements. I go to the Walmarts. And I go to the Walmarts and I say, okay, is there anything on the clearance rack? Oh, yeah, these look awful. Okay, $2.99, perfect, okay? And I go into my house and I put these flowers in front of her and I say, here, woman, you happy now? And she says, no. Why? I did what she asked, right? She wanted flowers. I got her flowers. Surprise. Okay, right? But wh why would she enjoy those? Weren't given in the right attitude. My heart wasn't in it, right? There's no whatever. It wasn't sincere. Now, now listen, now listen, listen, listen. I gave her what she asked for, right? You wanted flowers. Here you go, right? But not anyone, like, not only would she not enjoy those, 
I'm endangering my life at that moment, right? Okay, right? In that moment. And why I bring that up to you is this. If we're not careful in the church, that's how we sell obedience to Jesus. Here, is this what you want? Fine. Happy? Are you good now? No. He's not happy with that. You know what he wants? He wants our heart changed to desire that. I want to follow you. It's a delight to do this. You call it, and I'm ready to lay it down because you're worth more than anything else in this world. And so, for me, it's checking my heart before I do anything else. It's, it's this delight issue. Second category is just as fun. <laughs> it's disobedience. This uh, section in Colossians 1, he says, warning everyone. Well, what are we warning us of? Well, what are the things that you and I need to be careful of in our life? I'd say it's disobedience, right? Sin, traps, temptations. So Paul spends so much of his, his letters saying, let me warn you away from certain sins. Let me make sure that you're careful here and watch out for that area there. Uh, so, so as it comes to the disobedience category, what I love to sit down and do with somebody is, I will say, what is the most dangerous, sinful leaning in your life right now that we need to address? You might say, Trout, I got like seven, Okay. Maybe you do, but most likely you got one or two that if you don't take control of right now, it's going to control you. So what I do is I look at that person and say, what are those sin issues? What's those disobedience issues? And let's work on those specific ones. You know why? Because if I say, hey, here's 20 areas of temptation that you need to work on, there's a good chance that 10 of them don't really affect you that bad. Right? But some of them keep tripping you up so you focus there. Instead of focusing on them, you focus there. A disciple must commit to warring against any disobedience in his or her life. So this category for you would be looking to say, what is that sin that I need to war against? Okay, it's declared war on me. I'm calling it back and we're going to battle with this thing. Because if I don't, I'm going to be in trouble. So what is that area of disobedience in his or her life that you really need to work on. Another way to think about it, uh, Hebrews 12 will talk about the sin that so easily besets you, right? Or entangles you. So one way the question that can be asked is, what besetting sin must be addressed before it unravels you? What is that sinful area that you need to focus in on? So um, I guess it was, it was the, my boys were probably about Maybe about nine years old, I guess, at the time. The first time uh, uh, I brought my boys over to the Overcomer Center for a Super Bowl night, right? Bring guys over, a bunch of guys. It was, it was awesome. I, I try to do that every year that I, that I can, go and hang out with the guys. And, uh, and watching, watching the Super Bowl with about 70 guys is just fun anyway. You know what I'm saying? It's just rowdy, everybody ribbing everybody, you know, talking about what team's going to win and whatnot. Um, but I'll never forget the boys, you know, loved by those guys. But once again, probably – eight, nine years old, maybe, we're out there, we're watching the game, and all of a sudden, commercial comes on that in that center that night, it got really awkward. I've told some of you guys this before, but it was a Budweiser commercial, right? So those horses running through the area, I always look at them as those little horses that come on with Super Bowl time, right? And everybody's loud and boisterous, and everybody rowdy, blah, 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 and all of a sudden, it's like somebody turned the volume down. And Eli leans in and he goes, what just happened? I said, watch this. And whatever the tagline was that year, Budweiser commercial came on and somebody said, there's a new tagline I'll give you. Budweiser, the drink that ruined my life. 
And somebody else got up and said, real funny, Budweiser, real, real funny. Yeah, your commercials are real funny. It's real funny when you can't be with your family on Super Bowl Sunday because you have to deal with all this stuff because you can't quit drinking it. And my boys go, what is happening, Dad? <laughs> and I said, I want y'all to remember this right here. I don't want you to forget this lesson. We talked about it on the truck way home. Now, I've, I've shared this with uh, this church and in different ways, the Overcomer Center at different times. I have struggled with sin all my life, and I'll continue to struggle with sin. Alcohol's never been my thing. I don't know why. It just hasn't been. Before I was serious about Jesus, there were enough men in my family who struggled with alcohol. I didn't want to touch it. So the only time, confession, only time Pastor Travis has ever had alcohol is when he went to an Episcopal church and the communion that he had that day was not Welch's grape juice and he was not aware of it, okay? First time I ever had it, last time I've ever had alcohol, I was at communion and it burned going down and I coughed it up. I mean, it was embarrassing, but that, that's the only time. Now, I say that to go, oh, Pastor Travis, you know, so you don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with that. But there's plenty of areas to struggle with, right? Plenty of areas. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God of love. But I'm prone to wander differently than other people in this room. If you look at my three kids, same values, same raising, same situations, they struggle in different areas. Why? I don't know. We are all born into original sin. I just think it manifests itself in different ways. Y'all ever had a kid that just struggled with the temper in your house and another one you couldn't get to route up if you wanted to? Right? I mean, let's be honest. Some of y'all know, you just like going, something happens, and you just go, oh, just getting wrecked. You know, like you just can't take it. Some of y'all are like, I right, fine. Some of you, alcohol is a temptation. Some of you, greed is a temptation. Some of you, lust is a temptation. It doesn't mean that any of us couldn't succumb to any of those areas, but you and I both know you're prone to wander in certain areas, aren't you? So am I. So instead of saying, here's the 20 areas of temptation, what's the one or two you've got to focus on right now? And you go to war with it. You start, you start looking at your life and seeing what changes you need to make, what verses you need to memorize, what mentors you need to learn from, what things you need to get rid of, what things you need to start doing. And you go, I'm going to work on this for the next six or 12 months of my life. I'm going to war with this issue. And you focus in, it gives you clarity. This is what it means to work for the warning every one. Third area, doctrine. Okay? Not as saucy as the first two, but I promise you it's just as important, right? This one says, teaching everyone with how much wisdom? I wish it said, teaching everyone with some wisdom. You know, that's what I wish you'd say, right? I, 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 all wisdom seems overwhelming to me. But what is Scripture saying? You might have 73% of understanding what biblical doctrine is, but for the remaining part, you need to work on it, right? You need to see what those areas are in your life that you need to really grow in. So a disciple must commit to studying a biblical doctrine thoroughly. What I would encourage you right now in your stage of life is to find one area, doctrine-wise, that you want to grow in. Your knowledge of, your understanding, that you can get to a place where you can uh, study it and own it thoroughly. Okay? So... First time we did this as a church, somebody came up to me and said, I really can't think of a category number three that I, I need to work on. I said, what do you mean? Well, I believe everything the Bible says. I said, well, that's awesome. Way to go. Um, is there any area that you are debating anybody in your life with right now? And they said, well, yeah, I guess. I said, why? They said, there's a family member 
we disagree on is homosexuality okay in the Bible or not. I said, okay, so what do you mean? I think that homosexuality is a sin, and my family member thinks that it's okay. And I said, okay, can you defend it? Well, I know what the Bible says. I said, where? What do you mean? I said, can you open up God's word and defend it to me right now? No, I can't do that. Could you teach a, a lesson on it if you needed me to right now? No, I can't do that. I said, maybe that's where you need to go, right? You find an area that you kind of know, but you feel like, oh, I really, I really need to focus in on. Somebody else came up and said, I've struggled all my life about these words in the Bible that I avoid like the plague, like election and predestination. And God loves you and his chosen people. Like, what does that mean, right? They go, I just don't want to think about it. And they said, and I looked at them and I said, I promise you this, if you study God's word, you will not find him in a bad light. Go in deep. And they'd struggle for months. Then one day they came out and said, oh my goodness, it was so hard. And sometimes I wanted to quit along the way, but you are right. I have not seen God in a bad light. And I know what I believe and I'm so confident in it right now. That, that's what we're after here. To find one area in your life you need to grow up in. Um, what doctrinal issue do you need to study in order to embrace personally or share confidently? That'd be the goal. So is there an area of doctrine that you go, I need to embrace this personally. I'm struggling in it. I don't know. Maybe it is the end times. Maybe it is the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's something simple uh, about just, can I share the gospel with somebody? Can you embrace it personally? Like you own it. You believe it. Is there a doubt that you have? Or is there something that you need to share confidently? I would want you to say, if somebody were to ask you right now, can you defend what you believe? So um, once again, um, is our culture full of debates right now on certain moral issues? Yes. And maybe you believe certain things and you believe it passionately. My question is this, could you support it biblically? Could somebody say, well, how do you believe that? Oh, well, you know, could you go to it? Because uh, there's some type of way that you could say, I, I have this so much that, that I know what I believe, I embrace it personally, or I share it confidently. Category number four, development. Uh, this comes from that line that I mentioned in verse 28 where it says, present everyone what? Mature in Christ. This word means complete, mature, you're growing, you're seeing some significance. So this is not like a sin issue like the disobedience is. This is not a doctrine issue like the knowledge kind of aspect. This is something that you just want to grow in, that it's about time for you to kind of grow up and see some maturity in. Make sense? So discipleship must address areas of calling with the intention to bring about ministry development. So, so with this, what's an area in your life? It may not be an issue that you're sinning in, but you just need to step up. Make sense? Anybody got an area that you go, you know what, I kind of wish I just could do a little bit better than what I'm doing right now as I follow Jesus? And you may say, gosh, there's, there's so many different areas. Can you help me hone in on what those areas could be? And I'm so glad you asked. Here's how I think about it. What do I need to mature in considering my relationships or what? Responsibilities. Is there something that you need to mature in due to either your relationships right now or your responsibilities? So I asked a guy one time who was doing this with me. He, I said, what, what's an area that you need to develop in? I said, tell me what's been going on in the last six months. He said, well, I just got married last month. Well, guess what would be a good area for him to grow in, right? Not, I need to be a good father. Maybe one day, but right now, what does he need to do? Learn how to do the dishes in Jesus' name. That's what he needs to learn how to do, right? He needs to know 
how to develop in his role as a husband. And all the wives said, amen. Okay, like, this is what, is that due to relationships? Now, there's somebody who goes, I'm a new mom now. Well, guess what? Due to your relationships, you need to develop as what does it mean to be a mother teaching your kids biblically and decide, yeah, well, that, focus in there. Look at your relationships or look at your responsibilities. Is there something that God has positioned you to do, called you to do, given you the opportunity to do, and you go, oh, I don't know how to do this, or I probably could do this better. Do you know there are certain times in my life when I, I do this, I'll go through my responsibilities and think through all the things that God has given me, and I'll say, I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better preacher. I want to be a better whatever it is, and I start working in those areas of my life. Sometimes I've done this, and the area that I'm trying to get more mature in is my preaching. You know one of the hardest things that I do every, almost every single week? I listen to a recording of myself preach. It is pure misery. I don't know how y'all do it every week. I'm not serious. It is the worst thing that I do. I really, every week I'm going, why do I do this? Why is anybody here? I quit. I quit. I quit. And then I'll go, God, I know that you use it. I know that you need it. Why do I do that? I'm trying to make myself better. I'm listening to things I'm doing. Like, ah, oh, man, that that. That wasn't clear there. That was too fast there. Man, I probably should have said that. That probably was a little awkward. Like, I'm, I'm trying to all the time hone this. Why? Because God's given me this responsibility. I want to do it well. So sometimes for me, it's been this. Lord, uh, we're faithful in our finances. And, man, we're in a good place. God, you blessed us. And we're tithing. And we, we give to other things. But, like, I don't know. Is there a better way that we can be stewards of what you've given me? And so sometimes it's a step back and going, can I, God, biblically budget stewardship, just my finances? Am I, am I doing the best that I can? Maybe it's not a sinning issue, but could I do better, right? And so it's just a way for me to focus and not on a thousand things, but just on one. Uh, category number five is discipline. Everybody's favorite word, right? Where he says, for this I toil, I labor, I'm working hard, I'm sweating, right? So with this, I think about all the spiritual disciplines that you and I have heard about through our lifetime. And discipleship must train in areas of spiritual discipline for continual growth. So there are these things called spiritual disciplines that you've probably heard of. Maybe you haven't heard of them called that way. They might be Bible reading, Bible memorization, prayer, worship, giving, Different things like that. fasting, right? Everybody's favorite. What one of these areas that you say I'm going to work hard in? Now, um, what I typically said for years, I remember um, thinking that if you go to the gym, you see somebody who looks really buff. You go, man, look at how many muscles that person has. In reality, every single person in this room, we all have about 650 something muscles. I believe it is every single one of us. Some of us have just developed those muscles more than others, right? God gives us all the same amount of muscles, but some people just go to the gym and work things out a little bit more than others. So with this, when you see somebody, oh my goodness, they just, man, they're so godly, they know the word more. No, they've worked hard at knowing the word more. Man, that person's just an incredible prayer warrior. No, they put hours in the prayer gym, and that's why you feel like those muscles are bigger than yours. That's all it is. They focus in on these areas. Now, one of the best books I've ever read in my life uh, it was written by one of my seminary professors, Don Whitney. It's called uh, Christian Disciplines for the Spiritual Life, I believe it is. In that book, I read chapter one, and he talks about how you need to, uh, chapter one and two, about reading the Bible. And by the time I read those chapters, I feel like a horrible person that I don't know God's word. Like, man, I got to work on Bible reading. Then I get to chapter three, he talks about prayer. Guess what? I'm a horrible <laughs> prayer warrior, too. Chapter four, scripture memory. Oh, I don't even, oh, I, mean, I just get overwhelmed. And if I have too many things to work on at one time, I'll quit it all. 
What I'm asking you to consider is, could you focus on one spiritual discipline for the next 6 to 12 months and get better at it? Get those muscles pumping, right? Now, a lot of spiritual disciplines I can encourage you in. This is the only time I will tell you one I want you to do, okay? If you are not regularly reading God's Word, that needs to be the one. And here's the reason why. If you get regular in God's Word, all the other spiritual disciplines will find their way there. You're going to read about fasting. You're going to read about meditation on Scripture and memorizing. You're going to read about prayer. Get in the Word. So when you're doing a plan like this, this is what I'm not asking you to do. Okay, my discipline is going to, I'm going to read the Bible better. No. I'm going to read one chapter a day starting in the book of Mark. That's a goal, right? It's not better, more than I'm used to, whatever. No, get a specific plan involved. So what single spiritual discipline should I focus on to see significant progress? This is the goal. What single spiritual discipline should I focus on to see significant process? What can you look at in your life currently to really see some progress? First time I ever did this, spiritual discipline I worked on was fasting. I do not recommend that to my seven-year-old daughter at the time. You know why? She needs to work on Bible reading. But some of us who've got a lot more laps around those areas, you can start pushing into some other areas, right? One time my spiritual um, discipline, my, my discipline goal was not I want to memorize more scripture, I wanted to memorize a book of the Bible. That's the goal. So I'm going to start slowly working out. I got some guys I'm discipling right now. You know what they're working on? They're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. They just want to know the ways of Jesus. They feel like that's the best way. Now, so it's not, I want to memorize Scripture more. Have a goal. Have a specific. Now, this is what I also tell you. If you have never memorized Jesus' whip, do not try to go memorize the Sermon on the Mount, okay? <laughs> do not go try to memorize the book of the Bible. But some of you have been going along, and you need to push yourself a little bit. This is why it gives you flexibility to do that. Sixth and final category is dependence. When he says, for this I toil, I'm struggling with all the energy he mightily works within me. What this does is struggling with all his energy. I'm working really hard here, but it's his energy. So when, when we live, when, we, when we're being discipled and we're working on our own growth, we realize this, we are dependent upon him to work inside us. For all the efforts of reading the Bible, all the efforts of putting to death certain sins, all the efforts of trying to get our doctrine lined up, it, it is with what the work that he does. And so discipleship must continually acknowledge the complete dependence upon Jesus for the believer's maturity. I've got to always be looking, okay? What is it? Am I acknowledging my dependence upon him for my maturity? I'm not there yet, but boy, he's getting me there. Sometimes it's slow, all the time it's difficult, but I, I, I'm making progress. And so it's, I'm acknowledging that. I'm dependent upon him, and I'm dependent upon him for my maturity. Um, I know that we pray a prayer when we receive Christ, that God, I'm dependent upon you, but I'll say this. Well, if I have been following him for 70 years at the end of my life, guess what? Bill, 74 years in, you're still dependent on him, aren't you? Every day, every day. So, so that doesn't go away. Five months, 74 years, whatever, we're all dependent upon him. So, so with this, here, here's, here's, here's the, the final category I'd ask you to consider. What am I praying for God to do for which only he could get the credit? What am I depending upon him to work out in my life? Is there an area in your life where you go, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't fix this. I can't adjust this. This is going to have to be a thing of the Lord. And he goes, good. Come on, let's pray about it. Let's get specific about it. Let's see what God can do. So with this, you go, this sounds kind of simplistic plan for growth. Here's what I would tell you. 
If anybody here today, um, if you have a plan for how you're growing, keep it. If you don't have a plan, I would recommend this process to you. And here's why. Somebody one, one time told the evangelist D.L. Moody, they said after he spoke at a chapel message somewhere, this, this seminary student came up to him and said, Dr. Moody, I don't like your style of evangelism. He goes, I don't like it either. What's your style of evangelism? Seminary student goes, I don't have one. He goes, well, I like my version of evangelism more than your not version of evangelism, okay? And, and the reason why I say that is a plan is better than no plan. Right? You gotta have something that you're working towards. And so what this process is for me is looking through these three verses of scripture, coming through these six categories, and tonight, before you hit the bed uh sleep, you can look through these six categories and, and find six things that you want to work on for the next few months of your life. I would recommend that you let somebody else know about it to help walk with you through it. And this is what I, I this is the, the sentences I'd encourage you to follow up with. I need to delight in Jesus more than fill it out. What is it you need to find more delight in? What is it that you need to get your joy back in following Jesus? You put that thing down, and then you're going to start coming up with a little plan. Okay, what, what does that look like for me to find my delight in Jesus more than this? Give me an example of a, a mom who's doing this with her daughter. She says, I'm worried my daughter is all about external things, and she's so obsessed with herself, Right? And I don't know how to help her. And the you know, things she started doing, she started helping her memorize verses of Scripture on her identity in Christ. And she started encouraging her daughter that she needed to find one person to encourage very intentionally every single day. And tell her. And you know what that did? It got her eyes off herself. It started looking at everybody else, right? So it's not just saying, I need to delight in Jesus more than my external appearances. No, but what's your plan? Okay, so first off, start with what it's going to be. Then you start working with that plan. Second area, my disobedience that must be addressed is fill in the blank. What's that sin? You got to get it under control. You got to address, you got to put it to war, you got to put it to death. The pivotal doctrine for me to study is this is what I want to really work hard at, to look any place in the Bible where it speaks of it, get a good book on it, talk to a mentor about, get a discussion with, listen to a podcast, whatever it is. I just want to know this thing and be able to say, hey, I know it and I can own it. Uh, I need development and learning how to. How would you fill in that blank? What's this area in your life that you really want to see some progress in? You're maturing throughout the next few months. Number five, I will focus on the spiritual discipline of whatever it is. And whatever it is, have a plan. Don't just say, I want to do better. No, no, no. What is the plan? How are you going to do it? And then the last one is this. My prayers of dependence will ask God to. In these six categories, using these three verses, you narrow down a list. Not only for yourself, but do you see how simple this is? If somebody came up to me and says, Travis, I need to be a disciple, what would I do? I'd pull out a napkin and I, and I put those six words down and I get to work with it. You, you can do that. In your family, with a friend, a mentee, somebody you're coming alongside your own growth and for somebody else's. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you tonight uh, for the power of Colossians chapter 1 with Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, and it's you, Jesus, that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. For this we toil, laboring according to all the energy you mightily work within us. And Lord, for that, we want to be mature, more mature when we see you than where we are right now. We want to take the people around us and help mature them. And so help us use this process to help go and make disciples. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, thank you all.
Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.